Hey, welcome into the Coach Bo Knows Podcast here on the Studio Soapbox Network. I'm Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor. We're recorded live at the O'Connor Advisory Group Studios. You can check out all things O'Connor Advisory Group at OAGKS.com. You can always interact with the show on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at Coach Bo Knows Show. Check out the Facebook page and search for the Coach Bo Knows Show. And you can email us at CoachBoNosShow at gmail.com. This is episode 54. We are proud this week to be sponsored by DraftKings. It is finally here, Kansas. If you haven't enjoyed it, if you didn't get to enjoy it over the college football weekend, it's coming up now. DraftKings is now available here in Kansas. And you can use our link and get up to $200 in free bets. In our show notes, you'll see our DraftKings link. Check it out. Up to $200 in free bets by coming by joining DraftKings and using the deposit. Use our, clo- our um, link, and you'll be set up for a great time with DraftKings. Uh, all bet, bet responsibly and take good care of what you're doing there. Thank you to DraftKings for sponsoring us this week. Hey, listen. I know I sound a little rough today. I'm going to be real transparent of what's been going on. We did not have a .5 last week because Wednesday morning of last week, Coach Bo tested positive for COVID. And I have been ducking and dodging COVID since it started. I had not gotten it. I had been fairly good and fairly well. Wednesday morning, I felt like hell. Could not figure out what was wrong. Thought I just had some kind of a summertime cold. I actually texted my wife. She's in. She was in New York at the U.S. Open, and uh, she said, "You need to take a COVID test." Sure enough, I take one of those at-home COVID tests, and I'm positive. So I go back to bed, and I pretty much slept for the next two days. Um, I felt miserable. I got a little better each day. By Friday night, late night, I had it pretty well kicked. I just was pretty exhausted. Um, Saturday was better, Sunday's better. I'm recording this now late Monday night. I know we usually have our new pods on Monday, but with Labor Day weekend and me one of the few extra hours to make sure I was good to go, we're recording tonight for a Tuesday release. But I uh, wanted to get that going and let everybody know. I'm always transparent about stuff like that. We're get, I'm through it. I'm feeling pretty good. Still getting my voice back, so please bear with me today. As we go through this, I got a few different subjects I want to touch on today. I'm going to uh, I want to talk about college football. We were going to do our preview for the point five, and we didn't get that quite done. So I'm going to do that now. I'm going to talk a little college football, and I know that we've had week one of college football, and there was some exciting games. There was I have some thoughts on games from uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And I'm going to get through them. Uh, but first thing I want to do is, if you heard me on the Jones Report, I was able to do my spot on the Jones Report last week, and I did make my predictions for the college football playoffs. So I'm going to go over those real quick so they're on the record, and um, it's going to look a little fishy. It's not going to look fishy after I say this. I'm sticking by one of my picks. My four picks for the college football uh, playoff this year, Alabama, who I believe will be the SEC champion. Ohio State, who I do believe will be the Big Ten champion. USC, who I think will be the undefeated Pac-12 champion. And Baylor. And I know that's been a pick that I got a little grief from uh, uh, Tyler and Tom on the Jones Report, but I think Baylor is by far the best team in the Big 12. I do think they're going to go undefeated. I think the only team that they're going to have on their schedule that's going to give them any problem is BYU next week. Other than that, I think Baylor's going to just run the table in the Big 12, and I think you'll see those four champions lined up. Ohio State is actually my national championship pick. That does not look as good today as when I made the pick last week because in week one, Ohio State looked very flat against Notre Dame. Um. As most people know, if you're a list friend of mine or if you've heard me on this podcast, I am a Notre Dame critic. I'm not a big fan. Um, but I got to tell you, I watched most of that game. Notre Dame played extremely hard-nosed. 
Uh, Marcus Freeman is coaching these guys on how to hit people. And I love that. I love physicality. I don't think we've got hardly any physicality in football anymore. And Notre Dame was bringing the lumber. And they really, they're not as good a team as Ohio State. You know, I was talking to my brother who's a big Notre Dame guy. And he said he hates the narrative that Notre Dame doesn't have the athletes Ohio State does. Which I can understand where his thoughts are on that. But at the same time, it's just kind of true. And at this point, what I will give Notre Dame a ton of credit for is they played hard-nosed, they played tough, they played physical football, and that's missing in all of football. Um, I might be watching a little bit of them this year. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team because they've already lost to Ohio State now, and then I think they're going to have a problem with USC at the end of the year. They've also got Clemson in the middle. Um, you know, I have picked that game already. I think that's going to be a close game that Clemson wins. But if you just watched Clemson, Georgia Tech, I kind of think that, well, I've said it for years, I think that Clemson's a fraud. Uh, I know they won that game big and ran away with it late, but they really were in a, in a dogfight for the first really three quarters of that game. So uh, those are my picks. Now I want to do a little bit of re- week, uh, week one review. Um, I got to watch a shitload of football. Look, folks, I was sick all weekend. I watched football. I didn't really do a whole lot, which is kind of nice, actually. If you're going to get COVID in Labor Day weekend, you might as well go ahead and enjoy all the football you can. Some of my takeaways this weekend is um, Oklahoma State, y'all want to try playing some defense? Uh, I, Jesus Christ. I mean, I know it's week one, but Oklahoma State is one of those teams that if they can beat Baylor, and they can beat Oklahoma, they can be a playoff team just by the chance of winning the Big 12. But if you go give up 44 points to Central Michigan, um, as we say in Louisiana, that dog don't hunt. So I wasn't impressed with that. Um, that was my biggest takeaway on Thursday. Uh, the Pitt-West Virginia game, I really enjoyed it, especially the second half, that kind of going back and forth. I'm not a big fan of uh, Slovis, the quarterback from Pitt. Um, you know, he's going to get a lot of Kenny Pickett um, kind of love. You know, he's Kenny, Kenny Pickett's replacement. And I don't like to criticize players individually, but he's not quite as good, at least from what I've seen so far. But uh, I think Pitt's got a solid team. I think West Virginia's got a solid team as well. Um, Friday night's game, Western Michigan, Michigan State, was the only game I really glanced at. Uh, Michigan State's good. They are... They're not flashy, but they're just a good, solid team. And uh, I kind of was my only takeaway from Friday's games. Saturday, I mean, I guess we got into it. We got into it, and we got into it hard. Um, We had number one, Alabama, just whitewashed Utah State. I mean, we had just called an ass-whooping where I come from. I mean, 55 to nothing, it was never in doubt. Bryce Young threw for uh, five touchdowns. He ran for one. I mean, they were just dominant in every single way. Uh, I've already talked a little bit about Ohio State and Notre Dame. Ohio State wins the game late uh, by scoring two touchdowns in the second half. Um, Didn't play well. C.J. Stroud was not well in this game. He did go 24 of 34, which is an impressive number, but only 223, and he struggled against the physicality of Notre Dame's defense. And the Notre Dame's defensive backs really gave Ohio State, especially Marvin Harrison Jr., the business. Um, Just overall, I was more impressed with Notre Dame than I was distraught about Ohio State. If you're going to be a champion, you're going to have one dust-up game, and that might have been the one for Ohio State. We'll see. Uh, But it was a great challenge week one, and I'll give Notre Dame a ton of credit. They played hard, and I really... I'm a guy who's not really one of their fans, but they played hard and they came to play. The surprising one to me, and I don't know why I'm surprised by this, Georgia put a holy ass whooping on Oregon, 49-3. Now, I did not pick Georgia, the defending national champion, to be in the playoffs this year. And and frankly, I didn't for two reasons. Um, When you have eight players 
on your defense drafted in the first three rounds of the NFL draft. And Stetson Bennett the fourth is your quarterback, even though he was the quarterback last year. Um, I don't think that's a recipe for repeating. Uh, it, I know Georgia the last couple of years has recruited extremely well. I get it. They're reloading every year now. They're like Alabama in a way. I just think when you have that many special, special players leave what I think is the best defense I've ever seen at the collegiate level. I thought Georgia's defense in 2021 was the best I've ever seen. I can't think that they're going to play at that level this season. Uh, they certainly played at that level on on Saturday against Oregon. Um, Oregon's just trash. And, and I went back and I thought about this. I went back and looked at Oregon, and I realized in looking at them, you know, they got the holy hell beat out of them this week. And then when you go back and look, last year they had the big win in week one against Ohio State. And then they just sputtered the rest of the season. They had the two losses to Utah. I remember watching the first of the two losses where they just got whacked. I mean, from moment one, from the kickoff. And Mario Cristobal leaves Oregon to go to Miami. Um, um, uh, you have Oregon's quarterback is Bo Nix, who I think is older than I am. And, I mean, I'm closer to Social Security than I am college, so I don't know. It's That was one of those where I just kind of looked at it and go, man, I... I don't think he's a great player. I don't know that he's going to be the guy who can take them to the next level. But I did not expect 49-3. Georgia just put a foot in that ass is the best way I can put I can say it. Uh, pretty, pretty bad. Big win for Texas A&M. Big win for Michigan. Big win for Oklahoma. Baylor with a big win. USC with big win. Miami scores 70 Against it is Bethune Cookman, but I mean a lot of these non-con games. The two games that I really enjoyed watching, I'm gonna talk about both of them. Cincinnati and Arkansas. Cincinnati, you know, was the playoff team last year. They had the really three great defensive backs, including Sauce Gardner, who was a first-round pick. Um, they lost their quarterback. And I thought, well, can they rank 23rd? This is not the same team that they were a year ago, clearly. And then you got Arkansas. Sam Pittman is, I love offensive line coaches that become head coaches. I just love that shit. And Sam Pittman is, he's my, this is my dude now. I, I, he might be my favorite coach in the, in the SEC. Um, they got an attitude in Arkansas. And they think they're in every game. And they played a hard-nosed game with Cincinnati. Both teams played pretty well, especially Cincinnati in the second half. Got back in that game being down 14 at the half. Uh, but that was a really great game. Two really, really good teams that I think we'll hear from both of them. I think especially Arkansas. Arkansas's got a hell of a schedule in front of them, though. I was looking at this, and this is just unbelievable. Arkansas's got, coming up, South Carolina in the, in the middle of the road SEC. Missouri State, that should be a win. And then they go back-to-back with A&M and then Alabama. Mississippi State, which is never a gimme. That's at Mississippi State, Cowbell Central there. At BYU, at Auburn, they get Liberty at home. They get LSU at home and Old Miss, and they get the Missouri game at the end. But damn, they got to play at Mississippi State, at AM. They got Alabama coming to them. They got LSU coming to them. They play at BYU still. Um, and they ain't fucking around in Arkansas. If they can win some of these games, that's going to be a team to watch. And I like what they're doing. I like their coaching staff. I like that they, they have a bit, of, a bit of an edge to them that I really think is, is great. The last game to me, the best game of the weekend, and I know you didn't watch this game because I watched a bunch of it, and I kept asking myself, why am I watching this game? Number 24, Houston. At UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio. They play that at the Alamo Dome. UTSA, if you don't realize this, last year was a top 25 team, went to a bowl, only had one loss. They were a really, really good team last year. Houston, same thing. They've lost some players, but they keep recruiting. They're coming to the Big 12 next year. And boys and girls, they're replacing Texas in the Big 12, 
And that's going to make the Big 12 harder because Houston's better than Texas right now. Houston wins 37-35 in OT. And if you watch this game, God damn, it was exciting. Texas had to come back with 17 in the fourth quarter and went all the way to the end of the last drive to send the game to OT. They had a chance to win it, but couldn't get the field goal in um, in regulation. Got into the um, got into overtime, won it the third OT. Uh, fantastic game. A fantastic game. If you didn't see it, you missed out. Do not miss that team play again. Both Houston and Texas San Antonio are going to beat somebody this year, and we're all going to go, oh, holy shit, those two teams are good. If you are on DraftKings these next few weeks, you think about laying a little bread on something, you might take a look at those teams because they're probably going to be undervalued. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Um, last team I want to talk about, last two teams we'll talk about, BYU, uh, big win at uh, against South Florida, 15-21, just utter domination. That's a team to look out for as well. I like what they're doing. They've got a tough, tough schedule. They've got Baylor. They've got Oregon coming up. They've got Notre, at Notre Dame. They have Arkansas. They have at Boise, who looked really bad week one. They they have this you know non-conference schedule, or independent schedule, I should say, for one more season before they join the Big 12. And uh, it'll be interesting what BYU can do. The last two games I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about Monday night's game, and then I'll go back to Sunday night's game, because we all know that's going to be a personal for me. Monday night, Clemson and Georgia Tech. Clemson wins by 31. But they didn't look good doing it. I think Dabo Sweeney, um, to me, is the most overrated coach I've ever seen. He is the person who, he, he says one thing, and I don't really know. I, I think he believes what he says, but he's someone who's just so hard-headed that his way is the only way, that he doesn't see that the world around him is changing and that it's time to evolve. And this is going to hurt Clemson in the long run. Clemson is the only team in all of Division I, in all of the FBS, the FCS, that did not take on a transfer this year. And Dabo Sweeney has said he doesn't want to take transfers. His quote was something to the effect of taking on a transfer means you've done a bad job at recruiting. I can understand his thought there, and I don't necessarily disagree, but I also think if you have a chance to make your team better, you should do it. And I think that Dabo Sweeney is just a hard-headed guy who has had some success, and what people don't realize is that he had some success because he had Deshaun Watson, who was a difference maker. He had uh, Trevor Lawrence, again, a difference maker. And now he doesn't have that great quarterback, This the quarterback they currently have. Again, I don't criticize quarterbacks or players in college, but he's just not at that level. Not enough to carry the team. And if you're not trying to make your team better, I don't know what Dabo Sweeney's trying to do. Um, he just thinks that he's going to roll his helmets out there and take the football and they're going to automatically win. He's in the ACC. That helps him because we know the ACC is pretty much dog shit. I mean, the ACC is going to look really bad this year if if uh, week one gives us any kind of understanding of who they are. I mean, the ACC right now, we saw Florida State with a big win. NC State's a pretty good team. I think the North Carolina, we just showed they're not very good. I think Miami will be better than people think, but Clemson is the class of that conference. That's not a strong conference. And I, I think that that's what's helped Clemson is they've been in a really shitty conference and they've had to play really shitty teams and not been challenged in the regular season. And now they're going to get challenged. If they, if they were to move to the SEC, there's some speculation about that. I think that's the last thing Dabo wants. Dabo's going to try everything he can to keep his team in the ACC. Um, but I, and I think they will stay in the ACC. I don't think they'll move to the SEC. I don't think it'll be a plus for the SEC. And I think that 
we're going to see this is the year that Clemson really falls back in the pack nationally. What Dabo Sweeney did from the first week, from the first year he was there, to when they won two national championships is outstanding. There is no doubt. This is a guy that went to Clemson, South Carolina. This is a, you know, I went to school at the University of South Carolina for a year, and I'll tell you that Clemson's their biggest rival, and they're the redneck school. They're the school of the, the trashier people, and there's a lot of negatives about Clemson. That in and of itself, they're just not thought of as a powerhouse. And what Dabo Sweeney was able to do was to recruit a certain type of player, a player that wasn't quite to the level of Georgia and Alabama and those schools in and around that area, of that part of the South, and he was able to get those. Now, he got Deshaun Watson, who was from Gainesville, Georgia, who, which is very close to Clemson, and that was a big coup for him. Getting Trevor Lawrence was an absolute coup, but from getting those two, we really haven't seen these other recruits of his pan out to give those teams the the last two to three seasons to the level they have been the seasons before. Since Trevor, I mean, Trevor Lawrence's last year, they weren't very good. The, that last year, they weren't very good. This year, I expect Clemson to lose two or three games. Uh, don't think they're very good, and I think if they were to somehow win the ACC, I think even if they went undefeated in the ACC, I think that's a case where you might see a one-loss SEC team that's got a better claim than an undefeated Clemson. So I do want to talk a little bit about that. I wanted to get my thoughts on on, uh, on Dabo and Clemson. I, I think Dabo is kind of a fraud at this point. And I know that Tyler Jones and I have been fighting off and on about this for about three years now. And it was funny to see his tweet this evening that Dabo was a fraud. And I was like, yeah, someone's been telling you that for three years. Time to start listening to the old man. All right, before I got a second here, I want to talk about another one of our exciting sponsors, and that's Stitch Fix. Hey, guys, hey, everybody listening, guys or girls, ladies, men, whatever you Hey, do you like shopping? I'm going to tell you a tip. I fucking hate shopping. I hate it with a passion. But I also know that I need some clothes from time to time. And I found a great way with Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is a way you can go online, have a personal shopper, and you can set your budget and set up different ways for your style. You can get everything from shoes to shirts to pants, hoodies, anything you can imagine they will help you find. And it's all sent directly to your home. Send back what you don't like. If you have a problem, they'll always replace it with something else. Maybe you like something, but the style isn't right for you. Or maybe it's a little too small, a little too big. Let them know it's Stitch Fix. They'll send you a different size. Or they'll send you a replacement item. I love Stitch Fix. I find it to be great quality clothes. I like that they have some different ideas, can help someone like me who not only hates shopping, but doesn't know how to dress in the first place. So it's been a great idea. It's been something great that's helped me in my personal life, and I now want to help you out. If you check in our, in our show notes, you'll see the link. I want you to go in and check out Stitch Fix. You'll save $25 on your first box. Now, I know you've seen some of their competitors in the past, We've talked about them too. One of the other things I like about Stitch Fix is great quality brand name clothes, but not quite the huge price tags. A lot cheaper, and you can set limits on costs, which is a huge deal to someone like me who's just not paying, you know, department store prices for stuff. Check it out. I encourage you to check out Stitch Fix. Get $25 off your first box. Use our code. And I hope you enjoy it. We thank Stitch Fix for helping us out today. Sunday night. Oh, man. I'm, I've been a little speechless. Part of that is my throat is hurt and I've been sick. But the other part of that is, for those of you who are new listeners to the Coach Bono's podcast, maybe you don't know, I'm originally from Hammond, Louisiana. And I am a humongous, humongous LSU fan. I love LSU football. I live and die by it every Saturday. And I've been excited about Brian Kelly, the new head coach. I'm someone who has been a believer of his back from his days in Cincinnati. All the way through his time at Notre Dame, I thought he was the best coach 
in the history of Notre Dame football. And coming to LSU, I thought, wow, this is really going to be great. we got a, a professional coach, a guy who really is going to build a program. I, I love that Ogeron. I love gold titles. You know, man, I do, I do the impression all the time. You know me, you know I can do Coach O. Even when I'm not sick, I can do Coach O. I just like doing it. But I loved Coach O. But what I saw after winning the national title in January 2020, he lost his goddamn mind. He Success got to him, and he thought that just being Coach O was going to be enough. We've heard all the stories and all the things that have happened. And I, while I still love Coach O personally, I think he's a great coach. I think he's a great guy for that time at LSU. What he's not great at is building the program. And we saw LSU on the field slip quite a bit. A um, couple of, you know, a five-loss season, he gets fired. Brian Kelly's brought in, and it's almost like, okay, here's a guy who came from the biggest name you can come from. Notre Dame, like it or not, is the biggest name in college football. Even bigger than Alabama. It's just, I, I Alabama's greater and I'll say Nick Saban's the greatest coach of all time. But Notre Dame, there's something about that. So I'm thinking LSU's pressure will be different on Brian Kelly. He'll know what he's doing. Heard some stories about you know the recruiting trail didn't go quite so well in the spring and over the summer. We're seeing now some recruits are coming in. He's starting to close off the state a little bit. But what I saw on Sunday night was not a well-coached team between the lines. Um, LSU loses to Miami 24-23 in a game that I think neither team looked like they wanted to win. And I said Miami, I mean Florida State. I'm so sorry. Uh, Florida State goes into New Orleans. They play at the Superdome, beats LSU. And really and truly, LSU should have been down 28-3 at the half. Florida State made some huge mistakes as well. I mean, Notre, uh, LSU had two muffed kicks. They had um, a blocked field goal, a blocked extra point that lost the game for them. Quarterback play wasn't great. The offensive line play was tremendously bad at LSU. That did not look like an LSU offensive line. It was really, really bad. Um I was not impressed at all. I think they might have the most explosive offensive weapon in all of, in all of college football. And uh, Keyshawn Butte, it is Butte, not Butte or however the fuck they were trying to say it on the broadcast. It is Butte. Yes, I know it sounds like booty. But the guy can play. You call it booty and see what happens. The guy can absolutely play. And LSU needs to find a way to get him the ball. To get him the ball. I know he had a couple of drops, but he's only targeted four times in the game. Uh, one of them was a big play on a first down late in the game that kept the drive alive, which would have been the tying, tying uh, drive. LSU did not look great, and this is a game where, look, I was already suffering from COVID and tired. They almost gave me a damn coronary, and I don't know that I'm going to live long as an LSU fan in the Brian Kelly era if there's not some differences. It was funny. I talked to my brother Barry, who is a huge, LSU, a huge Notre Dame guy, and I said, is this what happens to Brian Kelly? Because I haven't watched a lot of your games. And he goes, yeah, he can get outcoached. And I really felt like he got outcoached. He doesn't know how a clock works. And that's not just Brian Kelly. I'll go into that later. If you know me well enough, you know I know that so many great coaches still don't understand how a goddamn clock works. Um, but Brian Kelly doesn't know how a clock works. I don't think they're very good play callers. The offensive line was horrible. This LSU team is going to have to improve or they're going to be a four or five loss team. Um, we'll be real blunt about this. If they don't get better, they won't be better. Um, I'm looking at their schedule now. They've got Southern this week, which they should run away with as a, as a non-con game. They've got some easy non-cons. They've got Southern. They've got New Mexico in a couple of weeks. They got UAB late in the season. But Mississippi State's not going to be an easy win. At Auburn's not going to be an easy win. Tennessee has improved. Florida 
Man, Billy Napier is a hell of a coach, and they, they're going to be ready. Ole Miss is going to be good. They're going to score some points. And you got Bama and Arkansas and A&M three of the last four games. You know, that's at Arkansas, at A&M. That Alabama game's in Baton Rouge. But they're going to be an underdog, as I'm looking at this, in at least four of the last five and maybe five of the last six. And if they don't clean house early, if they don't beat Mississippi State, if they don't beat Auburn, if they don't beat Tennessee, they may not make a bowl game. And that will be just unheard of at LSU. I mean, last year they didn't make a bowl game, and a lot of that was they qualified six wins, but couldn't take the appearance. They didn't have a head coach. Kelly gets hired a week before the bowl season. So, yeah, I just you're going to have to have that. And I'm sitting here looking for W's, and I'm going, okay, well, Southern, UAB, New Mexico, Mississippi State, that's four. I'm trying to find five and six, and it's got to be Auburn. It's got to be Tennessee. It's got to be Florida. If not, they're in a lot of trouble. And losing to Florida State the way they did, I know they really played hard, especially in the fourth quarter. But, hey, man, Brian Kelly, $10 bucks. You're getting paid almost $10 million a year. Motherfucker, you can't be losing games to Florida State in New Orleans. Plain and simple. And you can't be losing games like that looking that bad. I realize this is not Joe Burrow. This is not the 2019 team. I passed that. If they're going to be competitive, they are going to have to win some games that they're not going to be favorites in. And I'm not sure that right now LSU is going to be that. And that hurts me to say because uh, there is nothing I love more than watching my LSU Tigers, and they were horrible Sunday night. It hurt me watching that. Now I'm going to tell you what game did not hurt me to watch, and this is going to sound weird because I'm normally a fan of this team, and that is the Kansas Jayhawks. i got to tell you, I've mentioned it before, I'm rooting for this Jayhawk team. I'm absolutely rooting for Coach Leipold. I've got a chance to meet him. He was a great guy. Uh, really saw the way he's trying to bring his players together. The thing I met him at was actually at a players event, and I saw him open up his home to these players and what he's doing. And I know they play Tennessee Tech, but damn it, they won 56 to 10. And it was never in doubt. And my man, Devin freaking Neal, the pride of Lawrence High School. I'm telling you, this guy is so good. I had the pleasure of calling this guy's games in senior year at Lawrence High, and I was impressed with how he plays. I was impressed with him off the field. In a couple opportunities, I got to interview him. I just think the world of the young man. Devin Neal ran for 108 yards on four carries, two touchdowns including a Devin Neal 80-yard touchdown run early in the third quarter. It, to me, it was reminiscent. I saw him do a run like that in high school that was 72 yards where he didn't get touched. And uh, famously, we, uh, we called it, uh, Tyler Jones and I called it, and I said, uh, put the jelly on the bread and spread it. And that's what Devin Neal does. I mean, the guy is just money. Uh, Kai Thomas back there in the backfield with him, who's going to be out and flanked out in some different spots as well. I think it's going to be a great one-two running back combination. If Kansas plays tough up front, the offensive line, they've got some backs that can put some damage on some people. And if they tackle defensively, I like their chances to win a few games. I, I'm not going to go out here and go crazy and tell you the Jayhawks are going to win you know, six games or more and make a bowl. I don't know. I don't think so. But I'm looking at their schedule and, they got West Virginia. They got Houston. Those are tough games. But they got Duke. That's a game they can win. Iowa State, TCU, um, Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State. You've got to try to catch one of those. Maybe it's Iowa State. Maybe it's TCU. you got to try to catch one of those off guard. Texas Tech, again, it's a winnable game for KU. Texas, well, fuck, Texas might be scared of Kansas because Kansas beats Texas every year, apparently. 
And then Kansas State, that game's at Kansas State, but I I don't know that if you're a good enough rushing team, you may not be able to you may be able to give K-State a run. I think the Jayhawks can win four or five games, and I'm rooting for them. And I I hope the hell they pull this off. I I'm rooting for you guys, Jayhawks. Go get them. I know that sounds weird to anybody that knows me and knows that I've been a lifelong anti-Jayhawk, but I'm rooting for this football program. I am rooting for these young men, and God damn it, Rock Chalk, go get them, guys. Proud of you. I'm happy for you. You get that big week one win. Keep it up. Hey. Beat their ass in West Virginia and make them light some couches on fire. Good luck this weekend, guys. All right, fam. Last thing I got for you. Last one of these uh, spots for you here. And this is, as you know, a longtime sponsor for us here is Gold Belly. I love Gold Belly, and I'm going to talk about them every week with, as long as they're going to stay with us. And I'm telling you what we got going here. Right, here's what I really want you to take a look at. We're already past Labor Day. Okay, so now the weather's going to change in the next few weeks. It's going to change. It's going to cool off. You're going to want to stay home. You're going to want to watch some football, whether that's college football on Saturdays or the NFL on Sunday. And when you do, you're not going to want to cook. You're not going to want to do a whole lot. I can't think of a better idea than getting a Gold Belly subscription and having something shipped to you every month and taking that one Sunday and that one Sunday, just making whatever you get from Gold Belly. Tell you what I'm doing. You guys all know I'm a New Orleans Saints fan. So we're doing the Support Restaurants in NOLA subscription. We're going to have something from New Orleans once a month. We started this past weekend. We did Popeye's Chicken this past week. That's kind of cheating. But we're going to do it this week. Every month, we're taking one Sunday. And we're going to have the stuff sent to us from Gold Belly. And it's going to be something New Orleans related, whether that's Commander's Palace or Muffalettas or whatever it is. We're doing the support restaurants and NOLA box. There's all sorts of cool ones, everything from the bacon subscription to the barbecue subscription, a monthly pie subscription, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, New Orleans, the taste of the cities kind of supporting those restaurants as well. This is a great idea. This is what my suggestion would be. Man, set yourself up. Either Saturday evening for the ball game, you want to watch the college game, or if you got a team you want to watch on Sunday. Maybe it's your Chiefs. Maybe it's your Saints if you're like me. And let's watch them. And let's enjoy some good food from Gold Belly. We thank Gold Belly for sponsoring the podcast. And what you need to do right now is go hit the link up in our show notes. The first time you order Gold Belly, if you order a $50 order, you're going to get $25 off. Check it out. Browse through Gold Belly if you want. You can check out subscription boxes. You can check out all sorts of stuff right now. I just cannot recommend them higher. And I know you will really enjoy what's going on right now if you check out Gold Belly. Again, check out the show notes. We thank Gold Belly for sponsoring the podcast today. Okay, folks, last subject, and I'm going to try to get out of here after this on this one. I'm going to do a little bit of wrestling. It is Monday, and we've had uh, some interesting times happen in the world of wrestling since I last talked about it. Uh, AEW had their big all-out pay-per-view where CM Punk won the world title back from John Moxley. Uh, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks won the initial trios championship. Uh, we saw in the WWE their big event on Saturday morning. Uh, that was held over in England. We saw um, Tyson Fury get involved in a match with uh, Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre. That also saw the newest member of the bloodline, Roman Reigns' cousin, the younger brother of the Usos, uh, Solo, I can't think of his last name now, uh, interferes, Roman Reigns stays the champion. And then Monday night, Monday Night Raw, which was in Kansas City, I just finished watching parts of it. The big surprise, Braun Strowman is back. Now, for those of you who know me, I fucking hate Braun Strowman, but it is what it is. Uh, my kiddo, Peyton, Peyton P. Money, will be on the pod. He'll give us a full report of everything from his experience on Monday Night Raw, either coming up, either on the point five or next weekend. But we're going to talk a lot about this. The biggest news, though, in wrestling is behind the scenes. I don't know if people know about this, but this is actually some really funny shit going on. And this is all that happened in AEW. So 
to give you a little backstory, Tony Khan's the owner of AEW. He's a billionaire, son of a billionaire. He gives him some of his money. He starts a wrestling organization. And the people he initially hired to be his vice presidents, his executive vice presidents, were uh, Cody Rhodes, um, the Young Bucks, Nick and Matt Jackson, the tag team, and Kenny Omega, who's the biggest star from Japan. Never really been a big star here in America, but a huge star in Japan. They put this thing together, and it's a lot of the independents. They've brought over guys from WWE who have been released over the last couple of years. But the biggest coup was about a year ago now, AEW signed CM Punk. If you know anything about wrestling, you know CM Punk did not wrestle for seven or eight years after leaving WWE. He's one of the biggest free agents out there at the time. And it was a surprise to many that he actually signed with AEW. Since that's happened, he has really put over some young guys. I mean, he's wrestled a lot of the younger guys, really helped them out. But there is a divide in the AEW locker room. And it's, from what we're understanding, is that it's really kind of two groups of people. One are people who support CM Punk, and one support the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Now, in the meantime, as we all know, Cody Rhodes left the company back right before WrestleMania. He, his contract came up, he did not re-sign, and I think Cody saw the writing on the wall that the Bucks and Omega were going to, were going to be given a lot of control of the product on the air, and I think that there's an undercurrent of people who are real, I don't want to say real, who are wrestling fans who don't like that product. They think of it as a joke. Um, a lot of what you see with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega is a lot of high theatrics, high bouncing flippy flop kind of stuff that really doesn't make a lot of sense. The, story, the matches don't tell stories. The whole long line of it doesn't tell stories. Over this time, we've seen that that camp with the Bucks and Omega, um, also the hangman Adam Page, who was the AEW champion who lost the belt to CM Punk back in May. After losing the belt, um, Adam Page in an interview mentioned he doesn't really talk to or seek advice from a lot of the veterans that AEW has hired, guys like CM Punk and John Moxley and Chris Jericho and a lot of the backstage people like William Regal and Dean Malenko and those sort of people. And this really rubbed that group the wrong way. At the same time, there is the Young Bucks have been the, the producers, if you will, of the entire tag team segments of AEW since day one. And they've put themselves over as they are the top tag team. Unfortunately, they signed a team about two years ago called the FTR. The FTR was the revival in the WWE insanely popular with a niche group. Their niche group was people who enjoy old school wrestling. The Bucks have their own niche group, and that's the young people who like the flippy flop stuff. Over the last year, more fans are now cheering for the FTR. Their merchandise sales are higher than the Young Bucks, and the chants have been overwhelming for the FTR to become the top team. The FTR is currently the, in three different places, they're the current tag team champions. The only place they're not is AEW and the WWE, which doesn't allow anybody to fight outside their programming. Um, the Young Bucks became the tag team champions, and it looked like we would see at the all-out pay-per-view, which is the big, almost like WrestleMania-style pay-per-view for them, really it's kind of like SummerSlam, and they culminate a lot of, these, a lot of that show. And in this case, we saw the Bucks. We thought that we'd see the Bucks versus FTR. We didn't see that. Instead, the Bucks gave the titles to somebody else a few couple months ago, and we've seen them programmed away from each other, mostly because it looks like the Young Bucks don't like the FTR. The FTR have said in plenty of different places in interviews, they're not, they don't care for that style either. We've seen... This big convergence of these two groups, you know, the FTRs with CM Punk, and CM Punk's a big advocate for them. A lot of the guys from like the Blackpool Combat Club, which is John Moxley and William Regal and, and those guys, Brian Danielson, they're also part of that. There's this big growing group of people who are against these three people who are in power. And now the owner has to make a decision. 
it's funny because now after the pay-per-view, the all-out pay-per-view, if you get a chance, go to YouTube and check this out. They have what they call the media scrum. It's a press conference. At this press conference, CM Punk, the new AEW champion, sits down with Tony Khan, the owner of AEW, and he just goes on a rant. I mean, it was F-words blasting and blasting out the internet, um, journal, wrestling journalists. He was blasting the, 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 he calls them, I mean, he doesn't call them by name, but he calls them by position, the executive vice presidents. He did call out Adam the Hangman Page by name, call him an idiot. Um, basically saying, hey, I, this is not why I came here. You know, I'm not, I don't want to be involved in this. But the understanding now, a day later, is that after, after that interview, there was actually a brouhaha between the, the Bucks, the Jacksons, and Kenny Omega with CM Punk and his friend Ace Steel. Uh, it was like Punk and Ace Steel won the fight. And it's going to be interesting to me to see what happens moving forward. It really looks like it's kind of, if Twitter is a good indication, which it's not, but if Twitter was a good indication, it looks like the, the people who are in the Bucks camp are the Bucks fans, and they're with them. And it seems like everybody else says, oh, wait a minute, don't go with the people who are just bringing this niche group. CM Punk draws you the biggest houses, the best TV ratings, and the best pay-per-view buys. He's also got all these experienced people over there, and they all want to make the product better. These other three guys, the Bucks, Omega, they're trying to feed their little contingent of people who are turning on their show every week anyway, and they're not going anywhere. And they're saying, we want to make this niche wrestling more popular. But when those guys are on television, their ratings actually decrease. So if Tony Khan is smart, I'm not saying he is, Tony Khan will make some changes. And I've said this before on the podcast, if you listen to the wrestling pieces, I've said Tony Khan has to start putting in some, if he wants to grow this and do the things he wants to do to be successful, he's going to have to put in some handrails. He's going to have to put in some structure. Why he hasn't done that yet when he has people like Jim Ross, who's been a part of the, one of the largest corporate structures in the history of the, of the, of the, of the goddamn sport. Um, William Regal, a guy who was incredible and a big reason why NXT worked for WWE. You have these guys at your disposal. They work for you. You have someone like CM Punk. You've got someone like John Moxley, Chris Jericho. Use these guys to not just put the product on TV, but also help you build a structure, a corporate structure, to where you have one person at the top, but you need two or three writers, two or three producers. Not just one guy who seems to come and go with his harebrained ideas or listen to his three little buddies. AEW needs to make some changes. They need to make them quick because on the WWE side, Vince McMahon stepping down has been nothing but a positive with what Triple H has done behind the scenes. Triple H has done an incredible job, and you cannot turn a boat that size 90 degrees quickly, but he's sure damn trying. And some of the things we're seeing, the WWF, WWE product has become more watchable, it looks bigger time. Their stars are not looking as scripted as they were in the Vince McMahon era. We're getting some of the people that come back that fans wanted to see, and we're seeing some of the bad gimmick go away. So this is going to be interesting. You know, if you look back at wrestling 20 years ago to the WWE-WCW war, what won out was the way... The structure worked in WWE. It was the structure of the corporation. It was having a couple of writers and events. And it was having a vision of where they were going forward. And it also helped they had Steve Austin. But at the same time, it also looked like the biggest, biggest and best product. 
AEW doesn't look minor league, but it doesn't look like it's any better than WCW, Nitro, and Thunder 20 years ago. Now, I don't know how they fixed that part. But I do know they have to figure some way out to make their production look big league, to be more consistent with their booking, and to let the stars who draw ratings be the stars who are on television and not try to just stay with the same niche group of people every week who are tuning in every week anyway. If you want to grow your product, you have to grow you have to expand to draw in more people, not try to take your product and make it bigger. Again, I've said this before, I've said it again. Tony, if you're listening, give me a call. Send me an email. Damn it, I'll help you. I can help you. But you're not going to listen to me. It sounds like you're listening to anybody with the Bucks and Omega. And I can tell you the first thing, that's the worst idea you can have. So, hey, we're going to end with that today. I wanted to just kind of get out of here. I wanted to get a little something going, so please, I hope that I didn't sound too bad today, and I hope everything is going well. I want to say thank you to Tyler Jones and everybody at Studio Soapbox for all they do behind the scenes. Most importantly, I want to thank you to you, the listener. Hey, you guys mean everything. I really enjoy doing this every week. I'm so sorry I had to be late with the podcast and missed one last week, but... Uh, we appreciate every, every every download, every listen. We appreciate every comment, every five-star review, whether it's an Apple podcast, Google podcast, or Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. We'll be back on Friday for the point five. We, myself, Ellen, will be back in for the point five. Until then, have a great week. Remember, your time tokens are non-refundable, and we'll see you on the point five. Take care, everybody.